Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, April 28th, 2018. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Just over a year ago, last April 7th, I made a post at Christogenia, sort of thumping my chest just a little and listing a few of the comments I had made about Donald Trump long before he was elected. In March 4th of 2016, in a podcast titled The Kingdom of Heaven or The Elections of Man, I said, So we hope Trump wins, if only to show white nationalists how stupid they are for having any hope in such a man or for having any hope in a man at all. Then a few days later, on March 12th of that year, I said in another podcast titled Christian Expectations that Donald Trump might be good comedy, but that is all he is. He might be a little better than Hillary Clinton, but our feminized society deserves Hillary Clinton, the feminist hag. In the end, if Trump does win, he will leave white nationalists looking either stupid or hopeless, and which one it is I cannot yet tell, but that would also serve our God, because without him we are stupid and hopeless. Finally, on October 12, 2016, in a podcast titled Political Devices, I said it is with very similar suspicions that we said over a year ago that Donald Trump exists only to make white nationalists look stupid. Here we will qualify that remark. He will make white nationalists look stupid if they place their hope for the future of white America in him, and they will deserve their fate. Donald Trump is no friend of whites, as his record, as his record and the lives of his children prove, doubly and triply. But my intention was not to boast, and if I looked harder, I might come up with similar statements which I had made at even earlier times. My intention was only to entice white nationalists, as well as identity Christians who still cling to a hope in the current political system, to consider the basic idea that we have no political solution, and that there are those of us who have known that there is no political solution for a long time now. While our statements were blunt, we were really only trying to encourage the rest of our semi-enlightened white brothers and sisters to come to that realization along with us. So now, 15 months after his inauguration, do white nationalists yet understand that there is no political solution to our woes? Or will they get caught up once again in the next seeming political maverick to come along, only to get the shaft once again when they find out that he too is just another establishment player? After 15 months, there is no Obamacare repeal, there is continued net loss of jobs overseas, and no promised offshoring act, there is no Energy and Infrastructure Act, there is no Restoring National Security Act, there is no legislation for foreign lobbyists, the middle class tax cuts really seem only to benefit middle class taxpayers earning $300,000 a year or more, and while the 
TPP is dead, NAFTA still lives on. Furthermore, NATO was declared obsolete, but it has now been fully resurrected. China is not a currency manipulator. Sanctuary cities are still well funded. There is no wall. Common Core lives. The budget is not balanced. Hillary is not in prison. The swamp is fuller than ever. And America is not being made great again. But of course, the Israelis and the Mexicans are doing pretty well. By the end of Trump's first term, MAGA may stand for Mexicans are great again, or perhaps even better, what it really stands for is manipulating American goys again. In every aspect, Donald Trump has sold out his right-wing and alt-right support base, and he has catered to his true masters, the Zenist and international Jews. It is time that white nationalists also took a long, hard look at the alt-right figures who spent an incredible amount of their time and energy shilling for Trump throughout the entire election process, and some of them still continue to shill for Trump. This evening we have yet another End Times update with our friend Donald Fox, and we will speak of the Trump presidency and how it relates to future political prospects for white Christians in these last days. But Donald also has a few other relevant topics for us this evening. Hello, Don. Thank you for being here once again. Hey, thanks for having me back on the show again, Bill. Um, and I hope uh, we can inform our uh, uh, Christian identity brethren uh, the story of what's really going on out there in these uh, rather tumultuous times. Yeah, well, a little at a time, but it's it, it's hard to peel back all the layers of deceit and fake news. And <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, a guy could spend all day, every day, just un, unraveling Jewish treachery. I mean, there really is no end to it, but you have to earn a living and you have to do daily chores as well, so... Um, so I, I kind of limit myself to like the biggest abuses of international jewelry, and I kind of work from there. And, and you know, I guess in the course of my travels, um, you know, I've run into a bunch of these Jewish gatekeeping operations over the years, and I thought maybe we'd start there uh, with one of my favorite Jewish gatekeeping operations, the Daily Stormer. Um, they're these are the, you know, Daily Stormer and TRS seem to be tightly aligned. And these are the guys that were shilling hard for Trump and, and to this day continue to, 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 uh, to shill hard for Trump. Right. And, and, and that they're trying to influence hundreds of thousands of people in the extreme right who, who will ex influence um everybody around them in turn to stay engaged with this this artificial political process that we have in these elections and and we we always end up with chills it never fails and and well, there there are reasons for that because the the you cannot don't don't ever think that a legitimate candidate is going to come along who who can actually um, keep his boat afloat in the water 
Well, when the Jew owns the water and, and has control of the drain plug at the bottom, and, and you can't outvote the Jew that prints the money. You can't outspend them. You can't out-advertise them. You, you can't get more votes than he can. You'll never have more reach. He controls the media. He controls the printing presses. How can you, how, how can you beat them at their own game? Well, see, that's exactly it. I mean, well, it says right there in Scripture, our kingdom has been handed over to the beast until the words of Yahweh have been fulfilled. Right. And and so I guess my my personal take on Trump was, you know, going into the 2016 election cycle was, well, you know, let's maybe give the guy a chance because, I mean, we know all the rest of them suck, okay? So let's take a flyer on Trump. We'll see if he does anything. If he does, great. You know, if not, well, it's... We're not any worse than we would have been. I kind of saw it as maybe a, a referendum on, on Jewish power. If, hey, if he can actually enact some of this agenda, then maybe the Jews are starting to slip a little bit. But yeah, as it turns out, 15 months in, he really has made almost no headway at all. Well, well I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say I saw it coming, but I saw it coming. Or, or I wouldn't have said those things that I said all throughout 2016. I, I mean... I remember the Reagan revolution and, and all of the hope that people placed in Reagan. And I spoke about that on podcasts, maybe even with you, right? I spoke about, I remember these things, and, and they all go nowhere. Well, and, I mean, we know at some point Jewish power is going to to evaporate, but, you know, when exactly that is, you know, we don't know. And I guess all I can say is sitting here in April of 2018, uh Jews still run everything top to bottom, no question. Well, well, as long as you see that, you know, Wall Street um, setting policy for for the governments of the world, and a Jew sitting at the Federal Reserve Board deciding how much money is going to be in in the in in the money supply tomorrow, and and how the economy is going to function, well, then Jewish power is not evaporated. No, not in the slightest. And you know, my thought was maybe the first the first step would be to, you know, cut off this flood, you know, from the third world in here. Um, but that, I mean, it slowed down for a little bit at, at the end of uh, you know 2016 and the you know and for a big chunk of 2017. But now the uh, I've, the, the numbers I've seen lately, the uh, the invasion is really ticking up. Um, and in fact, we have a caravan on the board. We'll we'll get to that in a second. But uh, I thought maybe we'd start out with you know these shills that brought us this garbage, you know the Daily Stormer. And you know I would go there more or less just because England. A lot of his articles would be you know quoting mostly mainstream news sources, so it would save me the trouble of going to Haaretz or the Daily Mail or you know uh, Times of Israel or you know shit like that. I wouldn't have to go to those websites. I could just go to the Stormer. But, you know, in retrospect, I may as well have gone to those sites because they're all run by the same clique of Jews. Well, well right, I believe that. I absolutely believe that. And and um, I'm going to let you continue with your presentation here, but I do have a, sure. few, a, a few opinions on that. And, and even right now, there are people finally in, in alt-right and white nationalist circles that are um, starting to 
expose angling and weave more and more and and it's about time but it, it's something i've been doing for two years yeah it, it seems to really be picking up steam now uh weave has has really been outed as a jew and uh you know a lot of that gap um i know we like to rip on social media and you know i've still got a twitter account you know i'm surprised they haven't banned me yet but uh, i don't tweet much on there anymore um but I'm on Gab, and everybody on Gab went after England. It's starting about, I don't know, was it two, three months ago? He really started getting hit. And, uh, you know, it kind of, Gab is kind of the new political blood sport, um, which is what Twitter used to be. And if, if you're a Jewish gatekeeper, eventually, if it's a free speech forum and not everybody gets banned, you're going to have to answer. And you're going to get found out. And it, it took a minute, but that's what's happened to England and, and Weave. I mean, Brad Griffin has, has sniffed this out, and Brad's got a big enough of a platform, you know, an AKA Hunter Wallace, um, that he has uh, really flushed England and, and Weave out. Yeah, you know, I'm really proud of Brad for doing that, for, of Hunter Wallace, right? For, for doing that, Occidental Descent. Occidental Descent is a popular website. Uh, I know he gets um, more visitors than Christogenia gets. And, and um, he has a wider appeal because he has a broader, um, a bigger tent. Well, well, he does very well with his website. And he's very influential. And he works um, social media to his advantage very well and he's a fellow League of the South member and he's also um, in charge of um, publicity for the League of the South I don't remember his exact title but he's the chief of publicity or something like that and he does very well with that but you know Brad is finally on this um, onto this with Weave and I hope that that brings him around to realize that Mike Enoch is every bit as much in bed with Weave as Andrew Anglin is, that we've worked on the the Right Stuff website for several years, and, and, and this is rather recently, and I think he still does work for them. And, and yet, you know, if you're going to kick the Daily Stormer to the curb because of Weave, you got to do the same thing for the right stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think of them as they're two sides of the same coin. Um, right, exactly. That they push the same ideas. White yeah, Sharia and and boomer hate generation. Um, yet you know, agitating between the generations and things like that. They push the same ideas. So yeah, it's been you know, Brad and others have flushed out the fact that. You know, Daily Stormer was going through all these uh, domains that they had to use because they, after Charlottesville, they, their DailyStormer.com got shut down. Well, one of their iterations was DailyStormer.lol, and somebody found out that was registered to um, an Alex Pilasov in Manhattan, and he's a Jew, and his brother is a uh, Habad Lubavitch rabbi. And Alex Pilasov is a high-level tech guy. Um, he runs a co-location company out in Wisconsin, and there, there's a YouTube clip of him at uh, DEFCON uh, 16, which took place back in 2008, and he was given a, a high-level hacking presentation there. Um, 
So Pilasov, I, I believe, is a Mossad hacker. And I think he's Weave's handler, and I, th- I think that's where Weave really gets a lot of his his uh, skill set from, is, is hanging out with Alex. And I'm sure Weave has a certain amount of talent, but I, I think he's been, he's a Mossad-trained hacker. I think this whole thing is a Mossad operation. And believe me, I've run into plenty of Mossad operations over the years, doing uh, JFK, 9-11, I mean, you can try this at home. If you want to run into Mossad operations, folks, just start a blog and start talking about the Jews nuking the World Trade Center on 9-11. You are going to, you are going to get hit six ways from Sunday really quick. And I've done that. And when you start talking about Jews and the JFK assassination, you know, you're going to get more attention. So... And uh, and Mike Enoch has always denied that the Jews did nine eleven. Yeah, see promoters. that's that's okay, and that's that's part of the other point we want to get to is okay, so if Daily Stormer is a gatekeeping operation, so what is it that you don't what truth are you not getting on the Stormer that you should be getting if you're a, a pro white, white nationalist type person? Well the first thing you're gonna get is there's no talk of Jews doing JFK or nine eleven. So for me that's a big that's a big red flag right there. And then, of course, the next the next thing is there is no talk of Christianity at all on the Stormer. That's been purged. That that uh, was purged in spite of the fact that Anglin... Yeah, you know, I think the Stormer started in 2013. It, it really wasn't that popular its first year. I used to watch his Alexa ranking, and, and it took him over a year to surpass my own. And, and um, as he gained popularity, he started a poll. He did a poll asking what religion his readers were. And, and Mike Delaney has this down better than me. I don't remember the numbers, but Delaney does. But Christian identity were the majority of his readers. And I think in second place was the, the traditionalist type Catholics, right? Like the traditional Workers' Party people and stuff like that, the Orthodox um, Christians or Catholic Christians, they came in second and, and combined, that was well over half of his readership at that time. And even at that time, he would post, um, through Sven Longshanks, he, he would post, a lot or Delaney, a lot of the political and historical things that I did at Christagenia. Um, he never boosted my traffic much. I might get an extra four or 500 downloads because he posted it more than I would expect, right? And um, nevertheless, he always posted my political stuff or some of my historical things, but he never posted any of my Christian subjects, any of my Christian programs, except for Positive Christianity in the Third Reich. He did post those. Um, Sometime after he posted those, he, he pulled the plug on Christianity altogether on that website. Yeah, well, yeah, and truth be told, and I've mentioned this before on the show with you, that's how I came across your work was um, I was going through the the podcast section on the Stormer, and I saw the Protocols of Satan, and I said, whoa, what's this? So I I downloaded that, and I'm like, wow, you know, and then that really got, that was back in the summer of 15, and that's what really got me down the CI path was... And he uh, actually only posted... I'm sorry. He actually only posted the first seven. Yep. 
but after that, I mean, like, well, I knew where to find you then, so uh, I didn't need Andrew England to, to send me over to Christoginia. And so, okay, so there's no Christianity on the Stormer. There's no 9-11 truth. There's no uh, JFK. Um, and what, what else do you get on there? Well, you get hate for boomers, so older white people. How can you be pro-white and then just say, well, hey, I, I love my race, but yet I hate all the older people in my race? I encountered then, a boomer hater the other day on Gab, and, and it was clearly somebody from the Anglin camp, from, from the Daily Stormer crowd. And, and who, who promotes um, intergenerational enmity? Who who does that's been the Jewish trick, and 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 they made that popular in America in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, and it, okay, so we're we've got a wedge there between the generations, and then of course you know England, you're going to get a lot of white women bashing, um, you know, white Sharia. Uh, they call all white women either thoughts or whores, and uh, you know England thinks they should be chained to a stove. Um, and in fact, it's coming out now that those text text messages he's had with uh, Chris Cantwell those those popped up on Gab the other day. And England, his scenario uh, uh, would be to replace white women with robots uh, to raise kids. The Stepford and, Wives. I mentioned that movie in a podcast a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, and, and and nothing could be more degenerate than advocating the demise of the female sex. I mean, come on. I mean, how ungodly is that? I mean, God created women, okay? That doesn't mean, you know, oh, I've got issues with women. Well, a lot of people do. That doesn't mean you're going to wipe out women. That's not the answer, bro. Um, and in and, and England's Gab account now, it, all it is is Asian pornography and now, all of his girlfriends are basically all the ones I can find anyway that have popped up anywhere have all been Asian girls. So right, I had the videos posted of him with Asian girls somewhere, somewhere at my yeah. media sharing site or something. Somewhere at Christagenia, they're in the forum or something. So, and then okay, so what's another hallmark of? Uh, and this is okay. What's another hallmark of a Jewish gatekeeping operation? Okay, this is the Stormer now is becoming more and more like Judy Wood in 9-11. Okay, Judy Wood and her crew, they're a so-called research crew, but they spend like no time researching 9-11, but they spend all their time attacking other 9-11 researchers. So what does the Stormer do? They spend all their time attacking white nationalist groups that want to do street activism. Um they, you know, Weave was going after uh, uh, League of the South, uh, and then he went after TWP hard. He went after Matt Parrott and Matt Heimbach hard. Now, it turns out Matt Heimbach was pretty low-hanging fruit. He wasn't really equipped to take on the Jewish buzzsaw head-on, and he got dismantled. But the Jews did wow. not like him out there in the street talking about Jews. I, I really think the, Heimbach got dismantled because his pants were hanging a little low. <laughs> to be honest, well, yeah, well, yeah, he he, you know, Weave was going after him though, and Heimbach was just just a complete idiot. And uh, you know, it's like, man, if you're going to talk about Jews and do street activism like that, you better have your ducks in a row in your personal life. You better not have any skeletons in the closet because, believe me, they're coming out. 
And they sicked Weave on him. Weave is a, he is a nasty friggin' Jew. And he, he is a, you know, and I've, I've tangled, a, 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 you know, I've had a bunch of go-ins with these guys on message boards and in various places over the years. Weave is right up there with any of them. You know, a Simon Shack or a One Born Free or an El Buggo. You know, I've run into all these shills over the years. Just nasty. Weave is, is the same thing. And so Matt Heimbach, you know, not being, you know, just being an idiot, he got he got crushed. So he's learned his lesson. Well, well, you know, there's that there's the big problem with Heimbach is that a, a kid that just got out of college and and had one podcast with David Duke and David Duke promoted him, I guess, or or put his stamp of approval on him, what with a couple of podcasts or a couple of appearances, and and he used that as a springboard. And and his media coverage over his little college speech or, or or debate or whatever he had, he used that as a springboard to start his own party and get himself hundreds of followers. You, you know, somebody, I mean, somebody that just gets out of college can do some good things, don't get me wrong, but they're not leaders. It takes decades of... Um, trial and error and character development to to become a leader to develop the qualities that a real leader needs nobody has that coming out of college nobody nobody has that before they're 50 years old no um and yeah if you think you're going to be a 20 something kid and you're going to take on rabbis you know habad lubavitch because basically i believe you know habad lubavitch is basically the, the the top of the heap um, as far as the Jewish power goes. So I, I think Chabad, that's that's the bottom of the rabbit hole. I think it's Chabad Lubavitch. And if you're going to dance with those guys, you better you better have your ducks in a row because they're not screwing around. They know what they're doing. You know, if you're having sex with your father-in-law's wife, I mean, you're you're just easy pickings for them. Well, it takes decades to develop real leadership skills, yeah. and and it takes decades to develop the the knowledge necessary to be really firm in your convictions, and and you have to stay on the same path for a long time, and and you'll grow and develop as you go along, but you you can't put somebody up there as a leader who who and and fall in behind him when he just got out of college and hasn't proven himself in in the field. So yeah, so yeah, so uh, so TWP went down hard. Um, they did kind of make a few overtures that, that they, they were going to attack the uh, League of the South for having a membership list and all that dust up. Well, but that was a fake that, membership that, list. Anglin posted a fake membership list. Yeah, and that died down pretty quick because League of the South was just a little more street smart than than Heimbach was. And they were you guys, you know, the League of the South was able to fend off the the attack. Well, well, the League of the South leadership has been in this game, most of them, for 15, 20, 30 years. They're they're yeah, not I'm, Heimbachs that just got out of college, right? I, I mean, I'm not saying that they're perfect. Uh, all men make mistakes, but Michael Hill has been in this for 22 years, I think, since he founded the League of the South, and and um. A lot of these League of the South leaders are ex-military, 
and and they've been leading men in in the field in running operations for a long time. They're experienced. They're not college kids. They're not weaves or or, or fly by night internet sensations. What which basically basically Heimbach he was a media created leader. The media created him, and and David Duke rubber stamped him, and he took off. Chris Cantwell, he's a media-created leader. When he got arrested in Virginia, he whined like a bitch. He's not a real man. He's not a real leader. He's a media-created leader, an internet-created leader. Well, I'll give him credit for having more balls than Andrew England. Well, well, that's fine. That's fine. But he's still, you know, he he. To me, he doesn't have what it takes to be a real leader. That that to be a man that I would I, I would want to walk down, walk down, that block with, going into Lee Park in Charlottesville. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and in, in, in Cantwell's defense, mostly what he markets himself as is a shock jock, not a movement leader. So, well, that's Heimbach was out in the street. Um, so yeah, so so Daily Stormer is a Mossad operation. Uh, led by uh, Alex Pilosov, I believe, is the brains behind that. Pilosov and Weave. Yeah, I'd like to know more about Pilosov. I don't want to hold us up too long here, but yeah. Pilosov, your significant other, um, your wife, had, had sent me information on Pilosov before my last program on the alt-right with Mike Delaney, and I wanted to roll with it, but I was hesitant, and, and so was Delaney, and, and that's because... The information she had only had one point of contact, right, that could be documented. Now I see that there are multiple points of contact here, which make the information a lot more credible, right? Yeah, and, you know, just for some background info on Pilosov, then we can move on to Trump here. Um, um, So here's here's the YouTube video. You can just punch in uh, Alex Pilosov. It'll come up. It's DEFCON 16. Um... It was in August of 2008. Um, here's the, t- the title of the presentation was Anton Capella and Alex Pilosov, Stealing the Internet, a routed, wide-area, man-in-the-middle attack. Um, in this presentation, we're going to show DEFCON how broken the Internet is, how helpless its users are without provider intervention, and how much apathy there is towards routing security. With the method described in the talk, an attacker is able to gain full control and visibility of all IP packets heading towards an arbitrary destination prefix on the Internet. From the perspective of the victim's network, every inbound packet they receive will have the first uh, token of uh, the scenic route, or will have first taken the scenic route through the attacker's network before uh, getting and reaching the true destination. Um, Presentation will show attendees uh, how roughly BGP works on the internet and uh, how and what providers do or don't do when interconnecting their networks. Now, this is a 10-year-old presentation, so this is not cutting-edge stuff anymore, but this tells you where, where Pilosov was at you know, 10 years ago. This guy was giving uh, conferences at, at DEF CON. It's, it's basically a hacker convention. And the only comment on the video was from Weave, and we've said he was present at the presentation. So, so, so Pilosov was giving presentations, showing that he can do what he's doing today. If in fact he's the guy behind the right stuff in the Daily Stormer. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, the Manhattan apartment 
yeah, the Daily Stormer. LOL was was run out of Pilasov's apartment. So that now they've got a different, uh, you know, domain well, well, name. Now. Okay, if, if it, it was. Up, have, I'm sorry. The, the, the DailyStormer.lol, you can't look that up anymore. The information's private, but... Well, well, I did look it up, and I did see it. I did yeah, see I, the who I, is on it. I've seen that screenshot, so I, I, I fully believe uh, Pilasov was is behind the Daily Stormer. But that was the only point of contact I had, and, and at the time, we surmised that as long as it was possible... That we was only trolling people that looked up that domain. That if that was the only point of contact that I could establish between Weave and Pilasov, then I couldn't go with the information. Yeah, but Weave left a comment. The only comment on that YouTube video of Pilasov is from Weave, and he just says present. So Weave was hanging out with. Uh, well, well, right, and that's the second point of contact. That that yeah. makes the association more credible, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, and, and our guy uh, uh, Brad Griffin has got uh, um, he's got pictures of you know I'm on this accidental descent uh, descent website. Um, Brad did the radical agenda interview back on April 9th, and he's got a whole list here of stuff, and he's got pictures there of Weave at Pilasov's apartment. Um, so these guys are tight, and uh, the Daily Stormer is just like Judy Wood, drjudywood.com is a Mossad owned and run website. So is dailystormer.name or .lol or .com, whatever you want to go with. The Pilosov connection is really interesting, but because... Um well, well, now it seems a lot more credible to me that than it did. I mean, not that I didn't believe it before, or, or that I thought that I I should just kick it to the side. But yet, you know, when I can't convince myself of something, I just got to place it on a back burner, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what you have to do. Um, you know, I didn't come out of the gates saying Judy Wood is a Jewish shill, but. Over the years, when, when you get those same style of attacks, and then we, we put out one article uh, a few years ago back in, I think, September of 2013 called, Jim Fetzer and I wrote it, and it went up on veteranstoday.com. Uh, it was called 2 plus 2 equals Israel nuked the World Trade Center on 9-11. And that one sent her over the edge. Um, she started sending me and Jim emails directly, and she started uh, CCing... Um, you know, the, the ADL, several people there by name at the ADL, the SPLC, and the San Diego Jewish Journal. Interesting. So, <laughs> and, and I've heard Judy Wood is Jewish. Now, I can't confirm that, but it sure in the hell wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, you know, Mike Delaney's been saying that, I believe, for a long time, that he, he yeah. knew somehow she was Jewish. Uh, I don't really remember the details. But you know, either way, that that operation it's 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 a it's an it's a Jewish attack dog operation, just like Weave is, and the Daily Stormer. Well, well, that's exactly what the that, that's exactly how they operate. The Daily Stormer, the right stuff, um, operates the same way. Yeah, they, and, and the right stuff made an attempt to um, 
discredit me and 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 they had a couple of programs on their network trying to christian orthodox christians trying to discredit me but they never asked me to be on that no, I, and I heard a podcast where mike enoch was uh he mentioned you by name and and he was rather in a huff about it and somebody's like well who's that guy and then you know because like ah never mind it's you know. Yeah, yeah, right. Because he doesn't want to send his people to my website. <laughs> Enoch yeah. is a Jew. I have no doubt whatsoever that Enoch is a Jew. Uh, I happen to have grown up in in um, North Jersey, probably only a couple of miles away from Mike Enoch. And 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 you know, first his mother adopted a nigger. His mother got yet you know this little nigger in the house. Um, Mike Enoch's adopted little brother. Nobody does that in New Jersey, except Jews in in the 1980s and 90s. And and he lives in a community in in Essex County, I believe that that is a heavily Jewish community, Maplewood, Maplewood, New Jersey, um, upper middle class family. Um, Eastern European surname, um, adopt a nigger. Okay, that's about six strikes right ding, there. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> well, and what I tell people is, you know, okay, now I, I've got some flack over the last couple of weeks because I, I call LBJ a Jew. And like, okay, if you go to Jew or not Jew, they'll say, no, on the Jew scale, he's only a four, he's not a Jew, and blah, 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 his grandmother's name wasn't Jewish, da, 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 but you know, I laid out on Gab a whole bunch of points of, well, this is why I think he's a Jew. You know, his Aunt Jesse was in the Zionist Organization of America. His dad and his grandfather were uh, seeking clemency for Leo Frank, the, the Jewish rapist and, and child murderer. Um, LBJ was running guns into Palestine before Israel had become a state. You know, you know, just on and on with this guy. So I'm like, okay, I'm not a coincidence theorist. Okay, I'm a conspiracy theorist. So I, I fully believe, you know, so I guess for the record, you'd have to call LBJ a crypto Jew. But within one month of the JFK assassination, he was dedicating a synagogue here in Austin, Texas. I've actually heard from a lot of old time Christian identity people in the South that all believe that um, LBJ was a Jew. And and yeah, I never I'm, did the research. I never did the research on it myself, but you're not alone. There's a lot of people that think that LBJ was a Jew. So, and then that brings, I guess we can probably move on to, um, so just, you know, FYI to the, our, our listeners out there, Daily Stormer is Mossad, so be careful. Don't send them any money. Um, so those are the guys. So what, what were they doing? That Yeah, they were pushing Trump. Um, so... Maybe we should move on to Trump here. So what was the big Trump campaign promise was build the wall. Mexico is going to pay for it. Um, so we were promised a big, beautiful wall, and we still don't have any wall. Um, yeah, let's see. So they, the uh, recently, the you know, back in March, they passed this omnibus spending bill, this uh, $1.3 trillion behemoth. Um, and here's just a couple of blurbs from uh, Fox News, a uh, story by Adam Shaw. 
Um, funding for border wall and spending bill divides conservatives and establishment Republicans uh, is, is the title of the, of the article. Um, conservatives and establishment Republican lawmakers clashed Thursday ahead of a key vote on a massive $1.3 trillion spending bill, in particular over the funding of President Trump's central campaign promise of a wall on the southern border. Trump had requested $1.6 billion in funding for the border wall with additional money for border technology and appeared to have secured uh, that in the spending bill, but a closer look indicates that it differs from what Trump requested. Um, the $1.6 billion funding offers um, $251 million for 14 miles of secondary fencing along the southwest border in the San Diego sector. Um, it also funds $445 million for 25 miles of primary uh, pedestrian levy fencing along the southwest border in the Rio Grande Valley sector, as well as an additional $196 million for fencing along the same border. Uh, White House Budget Director uh, Mick Mulvaney indicated he would, uh, this would be an additional eight miles, less than the 32 miles the White House had requested. Uh, it also gives $445 million for replacement of the existing primary pedestrian fencing along the southwest border. Um, an additional $38 million is for border barrier planning and design, as well as $196 million for acquisition and deployment of border security technology. But even that money comes with strings attached. The omnibus says that the only designs that can be used are, are those already approved in 2017, uh, such as currently deployed uh, steel bollard designs. Um, uh, they, uh, Mulvaney said that an additional 63 miles of replacement burial barriers included, which the White House did not request, and they also got more money than requested for technology and facilities. Um, that the White House was happy with the immigration provisions, even as he conceded they were not able to get everything they wanted. Um, we asked for 75 or 74 miles worth of wall. We got 100. Uh, not exactly what we wanted, where we wanted, but they got something. Uh, so it's not a total goose egg, um, but it's not... It, it's not the big, it's not those prototypes that they were building uh, a few months ago. No, this is only that it's not a wall, it's fencing, right? Yeah, a lot <laughs> of it is, yeah. Um, and here's, for, here's a quote from Nancy Pelosi uh, Democrats want explicit language restricting border construction to the same see through fencing that was already authorized under current law, she said. The bill does not allow any increase in deportation officers or detention beds. Trump was talking in, in his campaign speeches about something bigger than the Great Wall of China. Yeah, and we're going to end up with a fence and some drones. A fence and some drones. Probably a six-foot chain-link fence for $200 million and, and some drones. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, you know, okay, so... A couple of ways to look at that. Well, it's the start of something, and like I say, you know, these these things all start as a process. You know, the Jewish emancipation took what 150 years. I mean, they were in the pit for well over a thousand years. They didn't get out of it overnight. Um, we've been getting flooded with uh, third world shitholers for. I think it's been going on in this country almost since its inception. Um, I, to me, Gog and Magog started in earnest um, 
almost as soon as those first slave ships were coming here, Jews were bringing niggers in here almost right off the bat. Yeah, you know, Trump Trump has not done anything on immigration that he said he was going to do. Uh, I mean, I know that the that the difficulty of getting an immigration bill through Congress, right? Uh, I understand that, and and um, the hurdles with that, and and it's been quagmired for a year now. No, no doubt, there was all kinds of talk about several different immigration bills back in February and March and April of this year and and they've gone nowhere but aside from that <clears throat> he does have executive powers to deport illegal aliens and and he doesn't need any congressional vote to do that right well, that, that's you know and that that's an interesting point because he he ended DACA with because it was an illegal executive order but um, the courts are making him in, uh, maintain the DACA program he said the White House has to accept additional DACA applications. Even no, though it ended no, the courts March. can't do that. Only in the Jewish government, uh, only in the Jewish media, the courts can do that. The courts don't have a power to force a president to do anything because that violates the separation of powers. It's but, not constitutional. Yeah, but for the time being, DACA still... It's, it's still up and running. It's a know? dog and pony show so that they could have their cake and eat it too. It's a dog they got the public convinced that the courts can do this. The courts cannot do this. It violates the constitutional separa separation of powers. So this is a way to get Trump off the hook from his campaign promises. Because the courts cannot, they have absolutely no power to tell a sitting president how to enforce the laws and how to um, dictate to executive branch agencies that the laws are going to be enforced. The courts have no power to interfere with that constitutionally. They got the media, has the American public duped into believing that the courts can do that, but it's all bullshit. Back in the 1830s, Andrew Jackson had a defeat in the Supreme Court and, and a ruling against him, and you know what he said? I hope they can find somebody that's going to enforce it. That's the separation of powers. The court can say what they want, but they can't force the, ex the president they can't interfere with the executive branch and the president. That's violating the separation of powers. So it's not constitutional. But they got the whole American public duped, Don, that they could do this. It's part of the game. Well, yeah, yeah. If you look at the deep, the deep state, it really runs things. But yeah, from a, from a perspective of the visible national government, this is unconstitutional. Uh, but you know, here, here's the headline, just for the record. Here's the story on Breitbart. Um, by uh, Chris Kobach. Uh, a few days ago, Judge John Bates of the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia issued a decision that was truly shocking. He ruled not only that President Trump is prohibited from repealing President Obama's DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, Executive Amnesty for Illegal Aliens, but also that President Trump must continue to give the amnesty to new illegal aliens in the future. In other words, the unlawful, informal executive action of President Obama is something that President Trump is compelled to carry out 
against his wishes in the future. Well, well Breitbart, they're shills too, and that's a Jew operation also. Because yeah, of it, course it is. Yeah. It, if they really knew what they were doing, they would publish the fact that that judge is overstepping the separation of powers and does not have the authority to do that. Not at all. And Trump's a friggin' shill because Trump should know that too. And everybody in his administration is a shill. What this is, it's a dog and pony show so that Trump could get out of hit, hit, out of his campaign promises and they could flood us with Mexicans. A, a real yeah, president, and, 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 a real and, president that even cared about the Constitution and the laws of this country would tell that judge to fuck off. Because that judge can't tell the president to do that. The problem is, is that Trump would have to do something, you know, with lawyers involved, and he's surrounded by Jewish lawyers. He doesn't so. need lawyers to do that. No, sir. All he has to do is tell a judge to fuck off. And and that's how it works. That's how this country was designed to work. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, using well, rude language. But, but that's how the country was designed to work. A, a federal well, judge cannot interfere with the relationship between a, a, a president and an, and an executive branch agency so long as they're not breaking any existing laws. That's the truth. I, I get yeah, fired it, up about that because it, it people don't understand the Constitution. Nobody does. They don't understand how it used to be in this country because they don't read history books. Well, as George W. Bush once said, the Constitution is just a goddamn piece of paper. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they're using this as a dog and pony show so that they, he doesn't have to keep his promises. So, well, okay, well, even if you were in there and you wanted to do something good, look at the system that, that it, you're surrounded by, like you had said earlier. So... Let's just take, you know, we'll just assume... Well, well he was supposed to drain the swamp. <laughs> swamp. Yeah, well, he... Okay, look, let's, 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 we'll just back it up a step, okay? What is Trump at the end of the day? He's a billionaire. How did he get the, you know, the multi Of course, we all know he's in the Jew pocket. He, he's in the Jew yeah. pocket 100%. That's what I'm trying to show, that if he really was an honest man who, who wanted to do something, he, you know... I'm sure that 10,000 constitutional lawyers understand what I'm saying. Oh, of course. And, and they and know I'm, that I'm right. I'm not right. debating any of that. I'm just saying there's the Constitution the way it's designed to work, and then there's the reality that we live in. So that the, the, so that the beast can control the system and convince the people that it's all part of the democratic process. <laughs> the separation of power. It, it's all legitimate. And, and none of it's legitimate. Of course it isn't. So that's where we're at with DACA. Uh, the, you know, it, it continues on, even though, even though it was an unconstitutional executive order to start with. Um, he can't end it because, you know, just for the record here, nevertheless, Judge Bates declared in his order that President Trump's termination of DACA was arbitrary and capricious because the Department of Just Justice failed uh, adequately to explain its conclusion that the program was unlawful. Evidently pointing to a Fifth Circuit decision addressing nearly identical executive 
Amnesty wasn't good enough for Judge Bates. He gave the department 90 days to explain its decision to his satisfaction. So that's that's where we're at. Some some Jew lawyer has to come up with justification for ending the DACA program to a bought and paid for judge. Yeah, well, the judge has, and an, in reality, if they wanted to tell the judge to flip off, they could do that because the judge doesn't have the authority that he's claiming to have, and that's not the way the government was set up constitutionally. So that all proves to me, to me, that proves that all these campaign promises were bullshit in the first place and and they're just looking for ways to get around having to keep them that that this is all being orchestrated behind the scenes to make it look like we have a real political process when in fact we have Chabad Lubavitch calling the shots from from Wall Street yeah, correct yeah that cuz that's who 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 do you think the you know I don't I didn't look and see who brought this legal action you know on DACA to the court system but I'm sure there's a bunch of kikes involved in there that that brought this whole action forward. Yeah, you know, okay, in in um one of his campaign promises, um, CNN Telemundo debate, February twenty fifth, twenty sixteen, Trump said, "We have at least eleven million people in this country that came in illegally." They will go out. They will come back. Some will come back at the best through a process. They have to come back legally. They have to come back through a process. And it may not be a very quick process, but I think that's very fair and fine. In other words, all the illegal, 11 million illegal aliens have to leave and apply to come in legally. That's what he said. That was a campaign promise in, in February 25th, 2016. And he expanded on that in October in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. He said, next, I will work with Congress to introduce the following broader legislative measures and fight for their passage within the first 100 days of my administration. He made a whole slew of promises for those first 100 days. And one of them was the End Illegal Immigration Act and fully fund the construction of the wall on the southern border. And and he's promising he was promising to start um deporting illegal aliens as soon as he got in office. He was gonna start deporting these illegal aliens. And and he was gonna anybody that got busted with a felony conviction would do a five year mandatory minimum jail sentence and, and before they got deported again, right? Well well, you you know Obama has deep had deported more illegal aliens every single year of his administration than Trump did in 2017. Obama's got Trump beat every single year. And and those statistics are online. And, and yeah, yep, I've I've seen some of those same numbers and what the other thing I had seen is what they called the Trump effect, where there was less illegals trying to cross the border there for a minute. But now, now no, that now that, gotten out, this whole thing is a joke. The numbers are now starting to really tick up. Right. The um, evidence is that, that, that border crossings were higher in 2017 than they were in Obama's second term. Yeah, the, the first part of the year, though, they had really nosedived, uh, really gone low. And then 
Well, well, well probably the Mexicans thought, well, Trump won, I got to stay home. But as soon as they found out it was a joke, they yep. rushed across the border. That's, that's exactly <laughs> it. Then now it's I'm sure. Again, so. I'm I sure. Would, I've seen it. I've seen the mentality, right? You, you get a new prison warden and everybody thinks they better be good for a while. And once they find out he's a pushover, that they're all throwing drugs over the fence. I've seen it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah, you get a new manager, so you have to straighten up and fly right for a minute. But then once you figure out it's pretty much the same old, same old, then it's back to business as usual. Well, well, Trump had more removals of um, established illegal aliens from inside the country than Obama had the last couple of years. Yeah, but now, total yeah, removals. Say, some of those Obama deportations, they had counted people that they had caught like right at the border and threw them back. They were counting that as a deportation. Well, so. well right, and that's what that, they're still doing that in the Trump administration. Right. Uh, I mean, in, in fiscal year 2017, there were 226,000 total deportations, but 81,000 of them were um, interior deportations, people that were picked up inside the country that had already been inside the country. That's the difference, right? So yeah. in Obama's um, last two years, Trump deported a total of 226,000. In Obama's last two years, the numbers were 235,000 and 240,000. And the interior deportations were still pretty high for Obama, 69,478 and 65,332. Now, Trump's were 81,603, but his total deportations were less. However, 226 thousand total deportations is lower than the estimated numbers of those who jumped the fence successfully in the same year 2017 and 240,000 or 226,000 total deportations is only 2% of Trump's 11 million number that he was going to deport he said they all had to go back that was his well, campaign promise yeah, and does anybody really think the number is eleven million? I mean, that's you know that's a bullshit number. It's it, probably more like forty million. Well, well, I agree. It it probably is more like forty million. But even with such a strong promise to deport all these eleven million illegal aliens, he didn't deport as many as Obama's lowest year. I I mean, Obama beat him every year. If we take 2017 as a measure of the way things are going with Trump, Obama got him beat every year. Obama is the borders and immigration president compared to Trump. <laughs> I mean, I, Obama I know, deported... Right? I thought, well, it can't be any worse than Obama. So. <laughs> from, from 2008 until 2013, Obama deported between 368,000 and 409,000 every year. That, that's way more than Trump did this year <laughs> in, in 2017. Well, what, yeah, what I'm trying to say is that Trump's um, promises to deport these illegal aliens, they're a joke. They haven't materialized at all. Yeah, it's well, it's business as usual. And Trump, you know, in his defense, requested more, uh, you know, Border Patrol agents and, and stuff like that. But 
that all got shot down in the omnibus spending bill. And my initial reaction to the, the omnibus bill, which is basically a piece of legislation written by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, was Trump needs to veto this shit. And, but upon further review, even if he would have vetoed it, um, the veto would have been overridden, overridden. Um, they would have overridden his veto. And, uh, so he went ahead and signed it. Now I, I would have made him override the veto. I'm like, no, no, no. Um, this is a fail, but it, it, it's the, the priorities of the visible national government are being set by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Paul Ryan is is checked out, and Paul Ryan's big hero, uh, what I've been hearing lately, has been Ayn Rand, you know, like Ann Rosenbaum or whatever, you know, that Jewish uh, libertarian. Yeah, Paul Ryan's horrible. He may as well be Jew. Yeah, yeah there's, no, there's no daylight between him and Chabad Lubavitch, basically, on the legislative uh, front. He kind of looks like Eddie Munster and grown yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he, he's going to retire. He wants to stay speaker until the end of the year. But uh, there's a plenty of moves afoot to, to depose him now of his speakership. So he's fighting for his life um, as the speaker. Well, it doesn't matter who they put in his no. place. No, no. It, it's I only going to be another show. I mean, really, there's very little difference between a Paul Ryan. You know, I, yeah, I get that he's in the House of Representatives and a Chuck Schumer. Because Paul Ryan gets his marching orders from APAC, uh, the same place Chuck Schumer does. Well, well, right. I mean, I've seen many of um, Paul Ryan's speeches and comments on, on current events. I saw Paul Ryan's events on Charlottesville and things like that, of course. He's, he is absolutely no different than any of the Jewish liberal Democrats. No There's difference no, whatsoever. I, I mean... There's no difference between a conservative and a liberal. There's well, not well a right. Some, some slight differences in economic policy and, and... Rhetoric. Yeah, right. Conservatives don't conserve anything. They don't know what they're conserving anymore. What, yeah, what... You know, I'll give David Duke credit for that. He says, well, what are you conserving? Well, they're not conserving white people. That's for damn sure. Um, they're not conserving the economy. <laughs> they're not conserving the culture. I mean, it, it's all Jewish uh, tranny rights and all this other crap. Um, LBGTQ bullshit. I mean, that agenda is... Conservatives are now on board with that. I mean... You know, why Why anybody would, would oh, you got to vote for the conservative. Look, unless you name the Jew and take on Jewish power, you're not doing anything. Oh, I'm, I support the Trump agenda and I'm, you know, I'm a conservative. Well, you're, you're bullshit. And even if you're a Nazi like Arthur Jones and you somehow managed to get in there, I mean, look, a guy like that's going to get swallowed up by the system you know I guess we can protest it and he would have a couple of votes here and there that would actually that might have a chance to do something but it's going to be few and far between it would mostly be you would get the bully pulpit 
and you could have a platform to to, to speak from. Well, well, first they have some sort of um, it, basically an initiation procedure. Congress doesn't even have to seat him. No, if he was to get in, they they probably wouldn't. They they would probably find some uh, legal trick to to keep him from ever ever taking his seat. Yeah, right. Just keep him out of the Congress. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, they they could probably just nullify the election and 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 appoint somebody. Well, well, that in effect, in in effect, it kind of nullifies the election when they refuse to seat him. But because yeah. then the people back home get angry, they're not being represented in Congress, and they got to go get themselves another candidate. It, it's just another way of 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 um, maintaining control. Yeah. So okay. So Trump, um, you know, as far as you know, fifteen months in. Zero swamp drained, I guess would be the uh, the way to put that. And uh, so that, that brings us to, okay, so let's maybe talk about Trump foreign policy for a minute. Um, so what's the big topic in the news lately? It's Syria. Um, so here, here's, a, uh, here's an article that uh, has been brought to my attention. Um, it's on Anime News. Um, headline is, Ira Greenstein, Jared Kushner's criminal deal with Israel behind U.S. involvement in Syria for Genie Energy's control of the Golan Heights. Um, Anime New, uh, Right News, ARN. Um, the Trump administration, along with Jared Kushner, employing the White House, a lawyer by the name of Ira Greenstein from Newark, New Jersey, who by all accounts uh, still acting as president, and in the interest of his uh, energy corporation when the U.S. bombed Syria. Uh, <laughs> that, that's Genie Energy. Uh, Ira Greenstein. <laughs> <laughs> from Newark, New Jersey. There yeah. you go. Just a couple of miles from where Mike Enoch grew up. <laughs> yep. An energy corporation operating privately in Syrian territory, the occupied Golan Heights. Um, U.S. President Donald Trump and his administration are inherently subjugated by this paradigm of interests. So uh, when commencing with uh, hostile military action on Syria, they did so while having a direct conflict of interest primarily related to business ties with this corporation. This, along with seemingly ulterior political dealings with the Israeli government, has gone part and parcel to the destabilization of Syria, while benefiting Genie Energy, its backers, and involved officials. Um, officials such as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, or Satan Yahu, as we like to call him. Um, this essentially represents extortion against Syria as part of a behind-the-scenes deal between parties with Greenstein's boss, the founder of Genie Energy and top Netanyahu donor Howard Jonas, having made billions through a telecommunications deal made possible under the watch of the Trump FCC for which to pay... Kushner or Trump for their actions. And the story started out a year ago and they just kind of keep updating it. And so it was, so th th this was kind of what led to the first missile attack on Syria and also the, the second one. So on April 26, 2017, the U.S. launched 59 Tomahawk cruise missiles at Syria. Um, um, you know, the uh, these have been the same parent... Um, Okay, uh, in operations over Dahara, which is a choke point near the Golan Heights, it remains as of this posting is being under the control of hostile actors such as ISIS, uh, the Islamic State, 
or as it's really known as Israeli Secret Intelligence Service. Now, now I think the Golan Heights, wasn't that reserved for the Palestinians previously? Yeah, yeah, it's it's an occupied territory. Um, the Palestinians live there, but uh, the Israelis want it. Yeah, right. I, I, I don't really... Uh, I mean, Golan Heights was a big story back back in the 1960s and 70s, and what when I was a kid. And I'm 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 really trying to. I'm not up on the news about Syria, maybe as much as I could be. But the bottom line is, I don't care. It's not my. It, it's, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's not a it, it's not a white versus Jew issue because it's you know, it's, it's just not my area, right? Another yeah, but what what it shows is. Is how um, uh, how controlled Trump is in his, in his actions. Like there is no there is no United States interest in bombing Syria. There's none. But but Trump is yet compelled to do it. I mean, the first gas attack was a blatant false flag, and so was the second one. I mean, utter bullshit uh, false flag gas attack, and we're we're, we're launching sixty cruise missiles. Uh, in, in into Syria at the behest of these Jews. Okay, I'm wrong about the Golan Heights. It, it's actually um, it was Syrian and and not really Palestinian. Oh, it really it ain't much of a difference, okay, so, right? All right yeah. it, it's kind of fifty fifty. The the population, it, it's kind of twenty thousand Jews, twenty thousand Syrians. Okay, so we can see that the, the Jews are creeping in to take over the oil and uh, the land. Yeah, they've been creeping in for, for since 1973, yeah. evidently. In settlements. Although, in 1999-2000, then-Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak had offered to return most of the Golan to Syria. They lost that in the 73 war, priests in, in the 67 war, maybe. So there you have it. So, yeah, so that's the Golan Heights. Um, and again, that, that's part of the world that we shouldn't have any dealings in uh, whatsoever. We were... God booted us out of there, you know, a couple thousand years ago. Um, oh, right, absolutely, I agree. It it was um, biblical prophecy tells us it's basically going to be inhabited by satyrs and devils. And <laughs> well, that's that's who's running it. Um, um, so yeah, so Greenstein is is up to his ass in conflicts of interest. Um, on the genie energy thing, and and Kushner is is heavily involved in that. Kushner, uh, when Netanyahu came to the United States, he stayed in Kushner's bed. You know, so that tells you what you need to know about that. And Kushner is like a thirty-six-year-old uh, son of a uh, Charles Kushner. He's he is uh, a Trump senior advisor. How can a thirty-six-year-old, you know, dweeb? be classified as a senior advisor you know and he's in charge of actually the uh the peace negotiations between uh the israelis and the palestinians and uh this uh greenstein uh is, is quite an interesting character um 
So he Kushner brought Greenstein into the White House, and uh, um, so not only is Greenstein prominent in Genie Energy, um, he also is or was the president and treasurer for the American Friends of Mosaic United. Um, Mosaic United is an organization spearheaded by the Israeli government's uh, Naftali Bennett, with it being the flagship project of the Diaspora Affairs Ministry of Israel. Bennett previously called for the world to recognize the Golan Heights as Israeli territory and for a population boom to take place there through new settlements. Bennett also compared the Golan Heights to the West Bank and stated that it is land that must not be given to enemies. Um, so Mosaic United, a reincarnation of uh, the government of Israel World Jewelry Initiative has attracted attention last year when it created a database of Jewish students to micro-target Hezbara toward abroad before it was suspended. Um, so this Greenstein is quite a slimy character. Um, and he's in there with Kushner. And so Charles Kushner is a, is a corrupt... I mean, he's even disgusting for a Jew. Um, he was he was trying to blackmail his own sister. Um, he, he took his sister's husband. Uh, she, he got uh, Charles Kushner got him in in a hotel room with a prostitute that he paid for. Filmed the whole thing and sent the sex tape to his sister, um, and she would not pay him. So she went to the uh, the authorities and uh, he did a stint in jail over it. Wow! Imagine that. Yeah, Imagine so a that's, Jew that's doing Charles something Kushner. like that. Yeah, and you know, Larry Silverstein's involved in all this. Uh, Charles Kushner's involved in it. Uh, Jared Kushner, and and of course Trump's daughter Ivanka is uh, is married to uh, Jared, Jared Kushner. Kushner. So yeah, his so Trump has given his own daughter over to the beast. I mean, literally the devil. So Charles Kushner is tr it is. Um... Jared Kushner's father. Yep. Well, well, Trump's given all his children over to devils, I think, or just about all. But I think some of his... I, I really think Ivanka was uh, what was mixed. I, I, I'll i never believe that she was a, a real check. Okay, as, well, you know, as, I had not heard that she was, was mixed. I, I thought she was... Uh, was blonde was a blonde Aryan, but, you know, I... Well, well yeah, um, I mean, that's the way she's considered, but I don't believe that. Yeah. I mean, you might be right. I, I have not looked at that angle. Um, Charles Kushner, this guy just served time in federal prison for illegal campaign contributions, tax evasion, and witness tampering. Uh, I mean, why do that when you just get your son to marry the president's daughter? <laughs> he was kind of... that. This was 13 years ago. This was in 2005. He was convicted of those things. Yeah, so, yeah. And then, so now, his kid... It pops up in the in the White House as a senior advisor. Yeah, and 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 he's running the whole Middle East for the, for the United States, right? I mean, for for the Jewish Kabbalah in in the United States, uh, he's running the whole. He's in charge of the Middle East, right? It, it, yeah, I, I don't remember what his exact title is, but he's a, a White House advisor to Trump, overseeing the Middle East. You have here. It, it's um, incredible that a 36-year-old could do that just because he's the president's son-in-law. It, it's 
Yeah, you know, this is just part of a, another segment of the greater Jewish crime ring from the New York area that that happens to have gotten in the White House. And every election, it, it's two groups of Jews pitted against one another. It's the same thing in Russia. Putin's in the pockets of, of some of those Jewish oligarchs over in Russia, and, and he makes it look like he's on the up-and-up when he goes after one of them, but he's in the pockets of, of the others. So it, it's... Yeah, he, he might be wiping out competition for the other Jew billionaires, I guess. It, it's all kike versus kike. <laughs> and, and, and it ends up being heads they win and tails we lose. Well, when I it, when I was a kid in mag in Mad Magazine, it was spy versus spy, right? And they had the white spy and the black spy, and they looked the same. It it's the same thing all over again, but it's in real life, and it's kike versus kike. Yeah, they compete with each other on a certain level, but they. Well, well, when it comes sure to the dealings with the goyim that that they put up a united front, there's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. There is no doubt about that. Um, but that's that. That's I wrote off this whole Syria thing and and the Russia thing a long time ago. It, it's just competing groups of, of of Jews, and and the ones with the um, the deepest pockets and and the biggest security stash are are going to win. Well, okay, and then so okay, so we've got so we've seen Jews left and right and center all over this thing, but the Syria thing didn't just pop up. Um, if you've got that MP3 handy, maybe we could play that. Um, it's a clip of Wesley Clark back on October 3rd, 2007, uh, talking about the plan for the United States to invade um, seven countries in five years. Here we go. Whoops. Hold it. No. Small technical error. We'll be there in one second. Here we go. I'm sorry, this is very low audio. I'm going to restart it. Okay, well, as long as the audience can hear it. And we had instead a policy coup in this country. A coup. A policy coup. Some hard-nosed people took over the direction of American policy, and they never bothered to inform the rest of us. I went through the Pentagon 10 days after 9-11. I couldn't stay away from Mother Army. I went back there to see Don Rumsfeld. I'd worked for him as a White House fellow in the 1970s. All this is in the book. And, um, and I said, am I doing okay on CNN? He said, yeah, 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 fine. He said, uh, I'm thinking about it. He says, I read your book. and." Uh, he said, uh, this is a book that talks about the Kosovo campaign, and he said, I just want to tell you, he said, nobody's going to tell us where or when we can bomb. Nobody. He said, I'm thinking of calling this a floating coalition. What do you think about that? I said, well, sir, uh, thanks for reading my book. And, uh, well, uh, he said, thanks. That's all the time I've got. Really? And um, I went downstairs. I was leaving the Pentagon, and an officer from the Joint Staff called me into his office and said, I, I want you to know, he said, sir, we're going to attack Iraq. And I said, why? He said, we don't know. He said, uh, I said, well, did they tie Saddam to 9-11? He said, uh, no. He said, but um, I guess it's, they don't know what to do about terrorism. And so uh, 
the, they, they think, but they can attack states and they want to look strong. And so I guess they think if they take down a state, it will intimidate the terrorists. And, you know, it's like that old saying he said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, then every problem has to be a nail. Well, I walked out of there pretty upset. And then um, we attacked Afghanistan. I was pretty happy about that. We should have. And then I came back to the Pentagon about six weeks later. I saw the same officer. I said, why, uh, why haven't we attacked Iraq? We still going to attack Iraq? He said, oh, sir. He says, it's worse than that. He said, um, he pulled up a piece of paper off his desk. He said, I just got this memo from the Secretary of Defense's office. It says we're going to attack and destroy the governments in, in seven countries in five years. We're going to start with Iraq, and then we're going to move to Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Iran. I said, seven countries in five years. I said, is that a classified memo? He said, yes, sir. I said, well, don't show it to me. He was about to show it to me. He said, because I want to talk about it. And I, I, I sat on this information for a long time, for about six or eight months. I, I was so stunned by this, I couldn't begin to talk about it. And I couldn't believe it would really be true, but that's actually what happened. Uh, these people took control of the policy in the United States. And I realized then it came back to me, a 1991 meeting I had with Paul Wolfowitz. You know, in 2001, he was Deputy Secretary of Defense, but in 1991, he was the Under Secretary of Defense for Policy. It's the number three position in the Pentagon. And I had gone to see him when I was a one-star general. I was commanding the National Training Center. I had met him one time. He said, if you ever get to Washington, come look me up. They always say that. Well, I was there in Washington. It was a Friday afternoon. I'd visited Colin Powell. He'd given me five minutes of his precious time and sent me on my way, and I was bored in the Pentagon. And, and I thought, I'll just go, who can I see? I'll, I think I'll see Wolfowitz. So I called and up there. He was available. Scooter Libby came to the door. I met Scooter for the first time, and he brought me in. And uh, I said to Paul, I said, and this is 1991, I said, Mr. Secretary, you must be pretty happy with the performance of the troops in, in Desert Storm. And he said, uh, well, yeah, he said, but, but not really. He said, because the truth is we should have gotten rid of Saddam Hussein, and we didn't. And this was just after the Shia uprising in, in March of 91, which we had provoked, and then we kept our troops on the sidelines and didn't intervene. And he said, but one thing we did learn, he said, we learned that we can use our military in the region in the Middle East, and the Soviets won't stop us. He said, and we've got about five or ten years to clean up those old Soviet client regimes. Syria, Iran, Iraq, before the next great superpower comes on to challenge us. And it was like, you know, I'm coming out of the Mojave Desert. I've been training troops. I haven't been thinking geostrategy for some time. And suddenly, a guy just sort of shoves this nugget at you. Well, you remember it. It was a pretty stunning thing. You mean the purpose of the military is to, to, to start wars and change governments? It's not to sort of deter conflict? We're going to invade countries? And, I, I, you know, my mind was spinning. And uh, I put that aside. It was like a nugget that you hold on to. This country was taken over by a group of people with a policy coup. Wolfowitz and Cheney, and Rumsfeld, and you could name a half dozen other collaborators from the Project for a New American Century. They wanted us to destabilize the Middle East, turn it upside down, 
make it under our control. It went back to those comments in 1991. Now, did anybody ever tell you that? Was there a national dialogue on this? Did senators and congressmen stand up and denounce this plan? Was there a full-fledged American debate on it? Absolutely not. And there still isn't. And that's why we're failing in Iraq. Because Iran and Syria know about the plan. All you have to do is read the, the, the Weekly Standard and, and listen to Bill Kristol, and he blabbermouths it all over the world. Richard Pearl the same way. They could hardly wait to finish Iraq so they could move into Syria. It was like a laydown. Oh, our legions are going to go in there. This wasn't what the American people voted George Bush into office. Well, they didn't actually vote him into office, but it wasn't what many of the people who... It wasn't what he campaigned on. He campaigned on a humble foreign policy, the most arrogant foreign policy in American history. He campaigned on no peacekeeping, no nation building, and here he is with Afghanistan and Iraq. It's astonishing. So the root of the problem is not how many troops are in Iraq. Please believe me. Don't be mad, if you're a Democrat, at your Democratic congressman because they can't reduce the troops and frustrate the president. That's not the issue. And if you're a Republican, don't be mad at the Democrats because they're fussing with the troops. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, if you're an American, you ought to be concerned about the strategy of the United States in this region. What is our aim? What is our purpose? Why are we there? Why are Americans dying in this region? That is the issue. Okay, that ended kind of kind of abruptly and my media player went on to play the Braveheart team again. Oh. Donnie, you there? Yes, I am here. Can you hear me? That was all Wesley Clark. Yeah, and Wesley Clark, you know, was the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, and uh, of course he's a Jew. His, his dad was Jewish. Um, that was incredibly candid, though. Yes, so you you can glean a you can glean some nuggets of info from a Jew every now and again, and so this this is all part of a plan that was laid out a long time ago. He he admits it actually goes back to 1991, you know, before the Soviet Union fell. This was really a plan to clean up these client states of the old Soviet Union. It really goes back to Theodore Herzl and and the idea yeah. of Greater Israel. Yes, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. For the so, Jews. I, I mean, it's only a, a foreign policy facade spread out over over the protocols and, and Zionism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, hell, it probably goes back to the French Revolution, you, you know, truth be told. But so this is part of a plan that, that's been in place for a long, long time. Uh, and Trump is just carrying out the Jewish agenda. Absolutely, and that's striking that this, um, yeah, you know, the neocon, I, I recognized almost everybody he named as a neocon, but I wouldn't go read Bill Crystal, that, that Jew bastard, I wouldn't go read any of them, actually, I, I mean, I can't imagine 
ever having read any of the neocon writings, except that I did for years read the Wall Street Journal, which basically regurgitated neocon ideas to its editorial policies. Yeah, well, the, you know, as a 9-11 researcher, these are names we're all intimately familiar with. Rumsfeld, Cheney, Wolfowitz, Richard Pearl, Douglas Fife. This is the project for the new American century. This is where 9-11 was born, was in PNAC. And this is the the outer workings of it. Or 9-11 was there to, to put this foreign policy into effect. That's what Clark even admits, that there were some hard-nosed bullies that just took over. Nobody elected them. Nobody voted for them. There was no... There was no uh, clamoring of the people to invade all of these countries in short order. Well, well, you needed a pliable president. And George Bush, uh, I mean, I don't believe Wesley Clark ba basically tried to look, make him look kind of innocent in this, but I don't believe that George Bush was innocent in this. I, I mean, the older George Bush, because that's when it started, what with the neocons. <clears throat> That was the first real big neocon administration. I mean, they were in there in the Reagan years too, but yeah. See, I, I when I got involved in this, I, I had assumed that Bush and Cheney were behind 9/11 when I started all of my journeys, and that didn't take long. It didn't take long before I got on to the uh, the the Jew angle of the whole thing. And boy, once you start seeing how many Jews are involved in these policies and in these wars. That is really an eye-opener. So the JQ, I, I got really involved seriously in 9-11 research about 2011. And by about 2012, 2013, I was spending just about all my time on Jews. Well, Jews well, and nukes. PNAC and, and, and Wesley Clark gave that speech at PNAC, right? That presentation. That, that PNAC is the project for, if my listeners don't know, it's the project for the New American Century, and, and that's a, a neo-conservative, a neocon think tank, and it was founded by William Crystal, Bill Crystal, and another Jew named Robert Kagan. And, and neocons are not conservatives in, in the sense of traditional... Um, Rockefeller Republican type Jews or, or any other type of conservative, the neocons named themselves that because they were a bunch of liberal pot-smoking hippie Jews that decided to masquerade as conservatives. They're former Trotskyites yeah. that, that turned conservative. So right. I, I call them neo-Cohens. Yeah, well that works too. So that's where that's where your 9/11 came from, and and Trump is still carrying out these policies to this day. So he has not veered from the the long Jewish plan in the Middle East. So Trump is is just carrying the torch, just like all the rest of them have. You know, still are we're still we see our government completely handed over to the beast. Well, absolutely. I mean, it happened in 1913, but it's gotten worse what, with every single administration. And, and the Jews, yeah. more and more um, Jews make it into visible positions of power with every single administration. That, that's the way it seems to be. Yeah, and oh, oh, 
Okay, so the, the other area of research I, I'm involved in quite a bit is JFK research. And I'm, I'm trying to push the angle out in the JFK community that this was a racial-motivated Jew d'etat. That's, that's what the JFK assassination was. It was a Jew d'etat. Um, the Jews were involved in, in the JFK assassination from start to finish. And they enacted their agenda uh, right after that. Now, one of the things, okay, and we, we talked about earlier about how I'm, I'm convinced that LBJ actually was Jewish. And that, uh, of course, he was he was a Jew acting in Jewish interests on the national and international stage. Now, part of the the LBJ domestic agenda was that Great Society program. And what what was the, really the net effect of the Great Society? Well, upon further review, um, the African American, you know, aka the nigger population. In the United States, more than doubled from 1960 to 2012. So it was 18.8 million in 1960, and in 2012 it was 44.5 million. So we have a bunch of uh, 85 IQ and lower apes uh, with with high crime rates and low skills. Uh, their their population is ballooned. So not only are we seeing illegal immigration. You know, bringing in mud people in here, the the domestic Negro populations exploding as well. That, so what, that, what that's are, what, what are, Jews. Yeah, you know, Jews that they they love to plant themselves in a city or town somewhere and surround themselves with niggers and and Mexicans and other non-whites so that they have an an endless cheap labor pool and and well, and plenty of um, opportunities to practice their perversions well a it, it lets the Jew kind of operate with not quite as much scrutiny because they can kind of blend in with the crowd they stick out like a sore thumb in a pure white society so they don't like that um, but beyond that, um, the real the real Jewish end game is to destroy white Christian society. So a good way to do that is to increase the the Negro population. And a story I found on uh, Zero Hedge a um, couple couple of months ago was one Baltimore neighborhood has the highest vacancy rate in America. The implosion of America's inner cities is creating the real shitholes and should be on everyone's radar, not Haiti. In Baltimore, Maryland, decades of deindustrialization and 50 years of democratically controlled leadership has turned the city into a failed liberal experiment with, a, with the homicide rate on par with Venezuela, a country that is suffering from an economic collapse. In 2017, Baltimore's population crashed to a 100-year low as Baltimoreans have finally discovered that the gentrification narrative by Kevin Plank, Johns Hopkins, and the University of Maryland Medical Center could be a distant pipe dream. The fact is, the millennial generation is quickly leaving as violent crime has turned Baltimore into America's most dangerous city. Um, breaking down the, the racial wealth divide in Baltimore, the figures are truly shocking. When it comes to education, health, and wealth inequalities, Baltimore has the most extensive gaps in the United States. African Americans make up a majority of the population, 
coming in at 63% of 614,000. But according to uh, J.P. Morgan, one-third of the African-American households have a net worth of zero. To make matters worse, the unemployment rate for African-Americans is three times the rate of white workers. Despite the garbage propaganda from the Trump administration, declaring record low unemployment figures for African-Americans. And according to 24-7 Wall Street, the report analyzed the 30 highest vacancy rates in U.S. zip codes from the housing market data company Adam Data Solutions, A-T-T-O-M. Those 30 communities are situated in 20 inner cities across the United States. Uh, Wall Street find similar similarities between all high vacancy rate locations. And the Baltimore zip code is 21223, a West Baltimore community has the highest vacancy rate in the United States coming in at 17.3%. Interestingly enough, this is the same area where the American drama series The Wire was filmed. So it's basically an internal Haiti in that zip code. Well, well, I guess, but we have internal Hades all over the country. Detroit was where Baltimore was. Detroit was where Baltimore is 15 years ago, or maybe a little longer. Yeah, that that's kind of Baltimore is a microcosm of Detroit, St. Louis. This is the model for all American metropolises: booming nigger population, collapse of infrastructure, industry and white flight well well there's a lot of these gentrification experiments across the country where where middle-class whites start opening business whether they're jews or or christians start opening businesses in and and buying up properties in in these old run-down urban centers and re-gentrifying them by attracting, building nice housing or, or renovating um, brownstones and lofts and, and, and warehouses into condos and apartments and, and attracting white working class and, and lower middle class residents to establish a white neighborhood in, in the middle of this old rundown city. And, and we've actually seen that um, in in person, and and as we pass through Chattanooga, Tennessee, that there's a very large gentrified downtown section, and and most of the whites there are are sort of um, upscale, lower middle class, upper you know upper middle class, and most of them are like metrosexuals and lesbians and artsy types that you you really don't want to live there if you're if you're a normal white person uh, it 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 would be hard for me to live there right and and um it it seems to be successful in some cities where there is still some industry and a nigger can get a job but but in 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 some cities like baltimore with such a large black population and just not enough um postal worker employment it, it's never going to work no, it's not going to work because these are low IQ, low skill people. They 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 don't fit into a white economy at all. 
Well, well right. That's my point. There's too many of them for the post office. You could hide uh, uh, thousands of them in, in certain places, but when you get to, to 63% of the population, you've got a problem. It's never going to work. Yeah. Um, there's just there's too many apes. Yeah, you can't hide them because they're, they're not smart enough to run anything on their own. And well, even these gentrif gentrified areas of certain large cities I've seen, um, Huntsville, Alabama has a gentrified downtown. Chattanooga, Tennessee has a very large gentrified downtown. Places like that, you still have like whites as an island in the middle of a very poor rundown city. Yeah, that's what we're seeing now. So it, it's not a very good place for whites to be. No. No, and, and as things get worse, that's going to be a more and more untenable situation. And just to finish up the article, it says, to sum up, the situation in Baltimore is only going to get worse as the city continues to shrink. As J.P. Morgan demonstrates, high vacancy rates leads to more violent crime. The situation is critical in Baltimore. Can the city avoid a collapse before 2020? Probably not. Uh we're seeing that, and this is part of the Gog and Magog thing, we're seeing more and more of these big cities, they're running into problems with maintaining social services, maintaining infrastructure. As, as more apes move in, the worse things get, because every African is worth $10,000 to the federal budget deficit. They, they consume more than they produce. This is the Palmer worm, the canker worm, the locust absolutely and and they don't produce anything so the more of them you have the more they consume and the less gets produced no black civilization or society has ever produced a surplus no i mean look at, at those nations in africa people think oh they they're, they're poor because they have no um good geography they have no mineral wealth that africa has more mineral wealth and and um, natural resources than any other continent south of the sahara desert than any other continent and and these niggers can't do anything with it they never done anything with it that they've sat on top of it and used urine as mosquito repellent for fifty thousand years yeah, in, in Haiti, I, I was listening to some, some audio clips a couple months ago, and I forget where even where they came from, but it was, one of, it was one of these people that said, well, Haiti's not a shithole, he went down there. Well, what did he find? The main diet of the Haitian is these mud cookies. They just take dirt, they shape them into cookies, and bake them. So they, they literally eat dirt. And I've seen them do that in Africa with dead bugs. They net bugs and gathered them into cakes and and fried them. Yep. Yeah. So that's what that's what's going on in Haiti. Uh, the Aztecs and the Mayans and the Inca leftovers in in Central America, you know, these squat monsters. They're not much better. They can't really grow anything either. They they can't produce a protein source. They can't. Horticulture is is lost upon them. They can't raise cattle. So they come here, they want to eat, and that's one of the points I was going to make was 
I go to the local grocery store here, and believe me, I'm surrounded by these mud mud people, and every one of them is running out of there with this overflowing shopping cart full of shit. And I see them get to the car, and Mr. and Mrs. Squat Monster look at each other, and they've just got a big grin from one side of their face to the other because they have food. That's what they're here for. They're they're hungry. They want to eat. That's why they keep coming. They can't. They know they they have enough technology or left over from whatever. I don't know how it gets down there, but they know that there's more food up here than there is down there. Well, well, we've seen plenty of them. Poor black Africans can't even speak English. They're in the Walmart. They got full shopping carts. They have new clothes on. And, and they look out of place because their clothes really don't match what they are. And, and you know, they're not dressed like gangsters yet or anything. And, and they have new minivans, and we wonder, where the hell did they get all that? And, and chances are it was just given to them. They get tax breaks. They get cash benefits. Um, yada, yada. And and that's the the, the method in in modern society uh, of the um, the palmer worms and the canker worms and the caterpillars and the locusts devouring the substance of the children of Israel. It it's not happening in your backyard anymore. It, no, it's, it's happening in a very sophisticated way through the social services infrastructure of, of our government. Yeah, it's a transfer payment from the children of Israel, white people, to to the the seed of Satan. Right. The, Walmart, the canker worm, the locust. Right, and it's they very just, highly well organized. They will drink and they will swallow down. It's looting, they, they looting and pillaging disguised as charity. Yep. So and so that's going to go on for a certain amount of time. Until Mystery Babylon collapses. One day, the EVT cards are going to quit working. When that happens, that is when the shit's going to hit the fan. And you don't want to be in one of those gentrified areas in these urban centers. No, it's it's like there's there's white people that think, well, something bad happened here. Maybe we can rebuild this neighborhood, yada, yada. Let's move in and we'll get... They, move, they get a job. They move in. They want to start fixing the place up that they live in. They want... They're trying to attract new neighbors, whatnot. They think, hey, we can rebuild this neighborhood. But what they're really doing is they're they're putting themselves out on an island. And when the EBT cards get cut off, guess what? They're surrounded. You are, you are going to be surrounded. Right. No doubt. So any, any, any sort of urban recovery that you see now is a mirage. It is not going to last, and the days are numbered. Now we all can't, you know, hide out in a bunker somewhere. We have to go to work and school and whatnot. But you better keep your eyes open because at some point the music is going to stop. Now, I don't see that happening probably for a few years yet, but you can see the storm clouds on the horizon. Oh, they're on the horizon all over the country. There's less, less and less industry and more and more people out of work every single year. It, it's a slow slide, but it, it's definitely a slide. So we're, we're seeing Gog and Magog come in and they've, they've compassed us about. 
they're consuming everything we produce, and it's just a matter of time until this corrupt, godforsaken system collapses. And maybe in, in, in probably in the next show, we're going to talk about how the white working population is shrinking and getting older and getting set to retire, and that's going to really cause the problems in the system. Right, and the boomers are retiring in droves right now. They yeah, have so been for about 10 years. Yeah, so these evil boomers that everybody likes to rip on have been propping everything up. So when, when that comes to an end, there's going to be trouble, and the we're seeing... For, for a few years now, I, I've been wondering why these RV dealerships are popping up all over the South. All over the South. And and they're on you can see them on all the interstates. Every so mile every so many miles you see this R V dealership with a literal ocean of these giant RVs that cost like eighty to three hundred thousand dollars. They're not cheap, right? And 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 um I was talking to an R V salesman a few weeks ago. Not that we have an $80,000 RV that's way over my head, right? But, well, he, he was um, telling me that it's the boomer retirements that are driving the whole thing. That these companies are making all these RVs, hoping to sell them to these retiring boomers. And boomers are buying them up. Yeah, one thing I've seen uh, lately is this it's a thing called the Earth Roamer. It's like, it's an RV on a lifted... Uh, Ford truck. Some of these go for three hundred thousand to a million bucks. People are selling their houses and getting these Earth Roamers. Wow, because these really high-end RVs. Yeah. So, what does that tell you? These are basically like uh, survival apocalypse level off-road RVs. You can go well off-road in one of these things. Well, you can't go anywhere if you don't have any gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, apparently these things got some giant fuel tanks, so if you can afford to buy one, hopefully you can put a, enough gas in it to get the hell away from all the niggers. Yeah, yeah. well, they have giant fuel tanks, but they, they go at about three miles to the gallon. I, I the, the, the one guy that they interviewed said they get close to 10. Wow, so. but 10 miles to the gallon isn't much when you have to get out of Baltimore to somewhere safe, and that requires <laughs> driving through Washington or Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, and not only do you need all-wheel drive and a lift kit, you're probably going to need a gun turret as well. To and get out of bulletproof there. windshields. Yeah, and maybe an RPG or two. Well... Yeah, it's that the economy is definitely changing, and and when the boomers are all in their RVs out out in vacation land somewhere, and there aren't enough whites left in these urban areas to maintain any semblance of civilization, what happens then? I mean, this well, that, is only ten years away. When, it, I think. We were talking about this earlier today. The Gog and Magog invasion, invasion is really leading up to the collapse of Mystery Babylon because the Mystery Babylon system worked where white people gave everything over to Jews, basically. But now that it's non-whites, the 
the phony evil system just won't be able, there won't be enough productivity to maintain this thing much longer. Well, well right, and, and, and the non-whites, it, even when they, when they can work at something and produce something, they're not paying taxes. No, they, they all consume more than they produce. They can't, they don't know, they can't speak English. Even these street shitters that write code, they, they don't speak they, English. They are all gaming the system. They're all gaming the system. Yeah. yeah. Abdul comes over and, and he buys a little gas station and he gets um, no taxes for five years because he's an immigrant and he bought the gas station with a small business loan and he doesn't pay taxes for five years or seven years and he sells the business to his brother Muhammad and now Muhammad doesn't have to pay taxes for five years well but, or XYZ major corporation brings in Sandpeep to be a developer and he comes over I'm sure he's living tax-free too and they can stay here for a certain amount of time on an, on an H one B visa, and then they they rotate back to Calcutta or Bangladesh or wherever the fuck they're from, and then then they come back, game the system, and then they go we, back to it. We still. have actually witnessed street shitters, middle aged women street shitters buying up soda pop at Walmart on sale on EBT cards to sell in their gas stations. They're all gaming the system. Every single one yep. of them is just gaming the system. So, so eventually, the the scale has to tip. when there just aren't enough white people to keep the balance book running, and and the the Jews can't possibly print enough currency for all the system gamers. It it's got to tip. It it's got to come apart at at some point. It it's, it's like a giant point. Ponzi scheme. Well, that's exactly what this whole thing is. That's what Mystery Babylon is, and we'll we'll maybe go into we'll you know the next show we'll we'll do a bigger breakdown on it. Tonight was more kind of focused on Gog and Magog, and they just keep coming. Not only do they cross the border, but we're with programs like the Great Society and whatnot. We're we're growing them here, so we're importing them, and we're we're homegrown. We're home growing our own apes. Maybe next month when we get together, we'll do a more comprehensive, documented immigration program. I mean, tonight I think the thrust was to show, and and you did that well, that that Trump is um, carrying out the the, the decades-old Zionist agenda that the the Jews have been planning for hundreds of years, actually, but have only been able to implement and 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 um, really put into motion probably since the Reagan presidency. Yeah, I, for me, I, I'm starting to look now that the, the Jew agenda, I think, got going full tilt, I think, under LBJ. I think that's when we're really starting to see them really pop up hard, hot and heavy. Now, if they, I, I guess maybe it, it, it took a little bit of time, but you look at what happened since LBJ took over, you know, the civil rights movement. Jews were all behind that. Well, well, right, but right after LBJ, uh, I mean, you had Richard Nixon 
and and I really think that 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 that's when Henry Kissinger really got into a position, what where he could call the foreign policy shots, and and that's when the the Arab oil embargo and all the bullshit in the Middle East that that kind of paved the way for the policies that we have today in the Middle East. The '67 war and and that then the '72 war, '73 war, the whatever it was, and and even they were even agitating in the Reagan administration what, with the um the the explosions in Lebanon and and yeah, the shelling no, of Lebanon. The, yeah, the Beirut bombing. Now that right. was a mini nuke as well. That was also a mini nuke attack. Well, well, that was also a false flag in order to get us into yep. a war there, but it didn't happen. Yep. They had to wait a few more years and until George Bush. Yeah, and we've we've seen Jewish treachery really, I mean, even with LBJ. One of the first things he did was the USS Liberty incident, where they were gonna. Uh, uh, right. They faked the the attack on the Liber- or the Liberty got attacked by Israeli airplanes, and they were going to blame it on Egypt and nuke Cairo. Right. Uh, I mean, they, they in other words, they have been fomenting this war in in the Middle East, the, this series of wars for many decades, in in order to attain their goal of their greater Israel. Yeah, because the, they the do satanic, want all that land for themselves. The the satanic stayed in the uh, desert out there well well you know it's been the crossroads of the world in east and west uh, i mean that that's why alexander the great marched to babylon and onto the indus river to to take control of the, the trade routes that the edomite jews had had had, had for, for many centuries and, and here in America, well, what, what got Kennedy done in was he tried to put the kibosh on the Jewish nuclear weapons program. And that, Kennedy's, well, Kennedy didn't live to, to carry that out. So his failure, that led directly to 9-11. Jewish nukes were used on 9-11. And there's been a bunch of other Jewish nuclear terrorist attacks. Uh, Oklahoma City was a Jewish nuclear terrorist attack. The Beirut barracks bombing was Jewish nukes. Uh, I have a whole list of them here somewhere. I don't have it right in front of me, but there's been a whole ton of them. And I had a, uh, uh, in an email correspondent with a nuclear weapons guy out at the Department of Energy, confirmed that all of those were indeed nuclear terrorist attacks. I have a whole list of them. That's interesting. I've never looked at it from that angle, but again, that's not my thing. Well, my thing for many years has been Jews and nukes. So, <laughs> okay, it's been great to talk to you, Don, and thanks for being here. And and um, we'll see you next month. Okay, thanks for having me, Bill. And good night, everybody. God bless. Yahweh bless. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the eternal enemy of all Jews. And good night. And if you listen to the lyrics of this song I'm about to play, it's almost like the Jews telling on themselves. I really think it was planned.